0: going to talk today about, I call the predicament in marriage, the predicament marriage. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 21 through 33, and toward the end of chapter 5, it says something kind of conclusive about marriage, and it quotes the book of Genesis. It says um, that for this reason, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That it says, this is a profound mystery. It it probably mystifies you a bit to to think, how can that happen? How can two people become one flesh? It means that God sees you as a unit when you say yes, and I do, and you join together. He sees you as a team, as a cooperative agency before Him to represent Him to the world around us. But that isn't always something that happens, and happens naturally or easily. Uh, It doesn't flow smoothly. Sometimes there's some bumps along That road. That's because they say love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. (laughs) Right? You think, yeah, love is blind. It draws us together, and we say, oh wow, this person is so wonderful. And then we get together and think, oh, this person is so weird (laughs) and wonderful. Hopefully, you put those two together that they can be a little weird and a little wonderful at the same time. But to get to that place where they're wonderful and you maintain wonderful is a difficult thing to maintain. And I call that the predicament marriage. Now, the predicament of marriage is not to be confused with the problem in marriage that we looked at several weeks ago. In the problem of marriage, I pointed out that the problem with marriage is that you married a sinner. <laughs> but so did your spouse. That's the problem. We're selfish by nature. And our selfishness contaminates the relationship. It uh, muddles the relationship. It gets in the way of the relationship. But... That's, the predicament is different, um, and different is the, prominent, the predominant message or word there. So the predicament of marriage is that we want to be united, but the truth is we're often divided. We want to be united, but we're often divided. Now oftentimes I see couples that the longer they endure, the longer they persevere, the longer they work, the more God does to make them truly united and truly one. You'd love to be one right out of the gate, but oneness takes time. It's born out of commitment. Now, I know there's some of you that are single. Some people would say, good for you. <laughs> but oftentimes, isn't it interesting? In our, in our culture, we can feel like, oh, I'm single. I should be married. Or someone will put that pressure on us. Oh, you're single. You should be married. One young man said, uh, you know, um, better a bride's uh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. That's like saying, "Oh, you're always a pallbearer, never never a corpse. I mean, it's not really. (laughs) But the truth is, you are wonderful as a single person. And the truth is, don't get married unless you really feel committed to the task. Because the task is immense. It's large. It's huge. It will require everything you've got for that predicament to be worked out in your life. Because why? Because we are different people. We have so many differences. So, uh, the first thing I want to I want to point out in the predicament marriage is we fail to appreciate our God given differences. We fail to appreciate our God given differences. Have you noticed that we're different? Adam and Megan, if you noticed that, did it take long to figure that out? You're different, Bo, you're different. When you notice all of a sudden that we're different, oftentimes that doesn't happen until we actually try to live together. Those differences are magnified. And there are so many differences, right? I mean, you think about it. I mean, you think about the bathroom. The way we approach the bathroom is different, right? The typical guy has five items in the bathroom, right? He's got his toothbrush, his toothpaste, he's got a razor and shaving cream, a bar of soap and a towel. Right, a woman—the average woman has three hundred and thirty-seven items in the in the bathroom, <laughs> and the guy can recognize a name of about fifteen. <laughs> it's like, ah, <laughs> we are different. Well, women, women love cats. Women love cats. Men say they love cats, but when she's not looking, they kick the cat. Right? We're different. How we, we we're drawn to animals? We're different. We're different than that. Uh, we, we dress up differently, right? A woman will dress up to read a book. She'll dress up to go shopping. She'll dress up to go get the mail. She'll dress up to take out the trash. A man will dress up at weddings and funerals. That's it. That's it. we're different so much in all the things about us. Our friendships are different. Our friendships are different. Um, June and John were in a cohabitation relationship, and June didn't come home one day, one night. And so John asked, and they say, where were you the next day? And she says, oh, I spent the night at a friend's house. He was a little suspicious of that. So he called her 10 best friends. All of them said, we haven't seen her. The next week, John didn't show up. He was gone all night. And June said, where were you? He said, well, I had a little bit too much to drink. And so I stayed the night at one of my buddies. Well, she was a little suspicious. So she called his 10 best friends. Eight of them said, oh yeah, he stayed with me. (laughs) (laughs) Two of them said, he's still here. (laughs) Right? Men and women are different. They look at the future differently. They do. They look at the future differently. A woman will have worry and anxiety until she gets married. A man will never have worry and anxiety until he gets married. (laughs) And then all of a sudden he starts worrying. We are made different. (laughs) All jokes aside, There are differences right from the beginning. It's interesting, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God tells us almost three different things that happen in creation as it relates to man and woman. In Genesis chapter 1, we'll see in the text, we'll look at that part of the passage in a little bit, that He he shows us that men and women are equal. We're both made in the image of God. We're both image bearers of God. In fact, the image of God is made better in the combination of who we are as a couple. And so in our oneness, we represent God's oneness, the the trinity of God, better than we do in our separateness. And so we're created equal. We're created to be image bearers. We're both given the same purpose and mission on earth. So chapter 1 tells us about that. Chapter 2 kind of brings some distinction and some differentiation between male and female. Man was created first. Um, man named Eve. He named the animals. He had an assignment before Eve came, and we see some of the differences in male and female. And then, chapter three, we see where it all went wrong, and we see the failure, the fall of man. in In Romans chapter twelve, chapter five, verse twelve, it says that sin entered the world through one man, and yet woman was the first to sin. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit, why that is. And so we see this, this progression in chapters 1, 2, 3 of Genesis. Look at chapter 2. It says that uh, the Lord God, so this is kind of the differentiation of man and woman. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden and to work it and to care for it. So man had been given a job before woman came. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. Recognizing this is, this is not good for this fella. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And so, man's given this job, and he's naming, you know, big and small, elephant, and he's naming, you know, wild and crazy, you know, monkey and tiger. He's he's naming all the animals, but it says, but no suitable helper was found. So, the Lord God made woman from the rib of uh, that he had taken out of the man. The man and his wife were both naked, and they fell, and they felt no shame. So, in chapter two, things are in paradise. Things are still good. They're created different. They're created to be unique, sexually, emotionally, uh, literally, literally the way God has wired us up. Science validates that man and woman are different. It's interesting, the kind of the erosion, the erosion of intimacy of marriage, the erosion of mar- as marriage between a man and a woman, that erosion over time, what, what, what often happens in culture is we say we're not different, we're the same. But Scripture clearly says we're different, and nature and science also says we're different. Hundreds of studies have been done on the human brain. And here's a few of the differences. The man's brain is a little larger. That gives him no advantage. <laughs> kind of wish it did, guys. Gives you no advantage. Uh, there's more gray matter in, in the male mind, l- less gray matter in the female mind, more white matter in the female mind, less white matter in the male mind. What difference does that make? That oftentimes is that the man is predominantly left brain focused. He's left brain. That means he's task oriented. Give me a job to do, I'm going to do it. Give me something to accomplish, I'm going to accomplish. If there's a risk that i going to take, I'm going to take it. Whereas the woman, being both more white matter, she kind of navigates both the right and the left hemisphere better than the male does. And so there's strengths and weaknesses that come literally in our masculine and masculinity and femininity. Um, the man tends to have more mathematical proficiency, whereas the woman has more linguistic proficiency. Uh, the man wants to seek adventure. The woman wants to seek security. In fact, in the uh, website, The Renewal Point, it says, scientists have discovered approximately 100 gender differences in the brain of men and women, and, this, and it's important that these differences cannot be overstated. We are created different, and we fail to appreciate those differences. Um, there's personality differences, Um, you've probably, uh, how many would say that you married your opposite? How many would just say that you married your opposite if you're married? Yeah, a lot of hands go up. Yeah, because opposites attract. They do. Opposites attract. But then after marriage, opposites attack. I mean, there's this little switch that happens, you know. Now it's, the claws come out in marriage because opposites attack one another. There's talent difference, giftedness difference. Uh, My wife's giftedness is completely different than mine and vice versa. There's socialized differences. There are immense differences between male, male, male and female. In chapter one, though, I want to reiterate that God said God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why did Genesis 1 give us that picture? Because God wanted us to know that we're created equal. And we both have this equal task on earth, to be fruitful and to rule over what God's put under us. To be fruitful and rule over. That's our mutual assignment from God. The Talmud, the Jewish commentary on the law says, God did not create woman for man's head, that he should command her, nor from his feet that she should be his slave, but from his side that she should be nearest his heart. God wants us to be a team. He wants us to work in cooperation, but we fail to appreciate our differences. We also are defensive over our human weaknesses. We're also defensive over our human weaknesses. So in chapter three of Genesis, where it talks about the fall, I want to read this for you. Let's see what happens. How did paradise get lost? Now the serpent was more crafty than all... This should be on the screen coming up for you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and then 7 through 10. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, "'Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden?' That the eyes of your, of your eyes of both of them were open when they did, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now notice what the man does. The man says, the woman, the woman you put here, it's really your fault, God. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the woman, so the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. It's pretty crazy, right? how quickly we learn to blame, right? The man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent, and he didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> Pretty interesting how quickly we blame. What happens is we become defensive over our differences. I, uh, I, I love my wife. I'm so glad we're, we're, we're approaching 40 years uh, of marriage. That's a lot, huh? Wow, that's a bunch. And you know, what I love about my wife is how different she is than, than I am. I love that. But I have had lots of opportunity to be defensive over our differences and defensive about our weaknesses. In Genesis 3 16 and 17, it says, The woman said, I will great. Oh, so this was God's judgment. Okay, now God, they both sin. Now God's going to give a judgment, but the judgment is different. It's different for the woman. Why? Because they're different. To the woman, he says, I, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will, underline this if you got a chance to in your Bible, he will rule over you. Adam said, cursed, or, and to Adam he said, cursed is the ground. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. So we see that God gives a different judgment to male and female. For the man, his tasks were affected. Remember, because man is being a left-brain thinker, he's task-oriented. For a woman who's much more relationally oriented, her relationships were affected. Now, it doesn't mean that those don't affect the rest of us. It's just that the effect came through the woman, came through the man. And I see it. I see it in my relationship with my wife. Our differences can be wonderful. They can be complementary. But instead, right, instead of allowing us to rule with one another, we start to rule over one another. Instead of wanting to rule with one another, we start to want to rule over one another, and marriage becomes a power struggle. And both parties end up feeling misunderstood. So instead of cooperation, we have competition. Instead of celebrating, we're debating our differences. Instead of delighting in our differences, we're fighting over our differences. In that challenge, it's true there are so many things different about my wife and I. I want adventure, risk taking. I want to add some venture. She wants to add security. She's risk averse. I want to go out. She wants to stay in. I want to reach out to others. She wants to reach in for us. I want recreation. She wants relaxation. We're different. And those differences can cause a collision that becomes this power struggle where we're pulling against one another until we begin to recognize that God wants to do something. He wants us not to be defensive over our differences. He wants us not to compete, but to cooperate. He wants us not to fight over those differences, but delight in those differences. He wants us to stop ruling over and start ruling with one another when that happens, God can do some amazing things. But how do we get to that place where our differences are not polarizing us like two political parties under the same roof, but rather they're uniting us? How do we get to that place? I'm calling this God's prescription for marriage. God's prescription for marriage is two things that I want to to highlight today. Two things with kind of an emphasis on how to do it and how we emphasize these two things. And it's going to be Learn submission, give permission. Say that with me. Learn submission, give permission. Those two things, if you walk out with those and apply them, your relationship will move from competing to cooperating. I believe that. If you learn those things, your relationship will move away from fighting to delighting. You will. You'll move in that direction. You'll move away from trying to, you know, fight for who's ruling to ruling together. When you, learn, when you learn submission and give permission, how do you do it? The primary way you do all of it is through submitting your ears. Submitting your ability to listen to and understand one another. Um, author that I, that I enjoy, um, Paul Tournier, a French psychiatrist, um, passed away many years ago, said, listen to the conversations of our world. Those between nations as well as those between couples. They are for the most part dialogues of the deaf. Exceedingly few exchanges of viewpoints manifest a real desire to understand the other person. Misunderstood, he loses his faith in life or he he loses loses his self-confidence. His faith in life or even in God. Here is even a greater mystery. This part's not in there. That no one comes to know themselves through introspection. He who can see himself clearly must open up to a confidant, freely chosen and worthy of such trust. It may be a, fri- a friend, just as easily as a doctor. It may also be one's marital partner. And I believe God would want it to be one's marital partner. He wants us to understand he wants us to work to to truly hear the message and the meaning and the emotion behind what someone's telling us There's a goal there's a goal to communication, and the goal isn't to hear yourself speak. There's a goal to communication that we often it eludes us. The goal to communication is always it's always some you probably better write this down. maybe write it down for your spouse if you think it's they need it. The goal of communication is understanding the goal of communication is always to be understood to be heard um john Augsburger says being heard is so close to being loved that the average person cannot tell the difference being heard is so close to being loved that the average person cannot tell the difference part of the reason you got married was to be understood Part of the reason you drew, were, were drawn to someone is because you wanted someone incredibly different than you were to understand who you were. Part of the reason you got married is you wanted someone who's incredibly different than you are to understand who you are. And when that happens, there's something magical that takes place. And marriage can be this wonderful force that God can use to display literally His purposes on the planet. Well, that'll never happen when we fail to appreciate our differences. That'll never happen when we are defensive over our human weaknesses, but it will happen when we learn to submit, and we learn to give permission. We learn submission and to give permission. Submission, a little word is, uh, in the Greek is hupotasso. We've talked about this before. We looked at it several weeks ago. Hupotasso means uh, to voluntarily, voluntarily, not twisted arm voluntarily an attitude of giving to another cooperating assuming responsibility and carrying a burden that's what submission is please note that submission is not about assigning your responsibility to another it's not about abandoning your judgment it's not about allowing someone else to dictate to you that's not submission Submission is setting aside your own ideas as supreme, your own will as ultimate, freeing you from the burden of having to have your way and being all wise in your own eyes. It's good, huh? That's what submission is. And when you can operate in a relationship with submission, because remember the verse right above, right above in your notes in verse 21 of chapter 5, he says, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. There's nothing about male or female there. This body of Christ, you, believers, followers of Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word submit is not in verse 22. It says, wives, likewise to your husbands. And then in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Next week, we're going to go into great detail about the husband's unique task. Ladies, make sure they don't miss. Um, submission is this willingness and ability to hear the other person. Ephesians tells us right out of the gate of chapter four, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Does that sound like controlling or cooperating? Does it sound like ruling over or ruling with? The spirit of which God wants us to address our relationships is one of cooperation. That's why he then goes on and says he prepares God's people for works of service. And where does that service start? It should start in the home. It should start with the closest relationship you have. How can you serve the world out of your home if you can't serve the one that's in your home? God calls us to this place of mutual service. Submission literally is a critical manifestation of being spirit-filled. It's a critical manifestation of being spirit-filled. Submission is a clear representation of being Christ-centered. That motivation to serve is what is at the bedrock of every relationship that finds this beautiful cooperation so they become this symbiotic relationship that manifests God's presence to their children, to their friends, extended family, and the world around them. Leonard Bernstein, if you know the name, Leonard Bernstein was a famous orchestra conductor. And after a a, a, a production, he was asked by a TV uh, interview personality, uh, Mr. Bernstein, what is the most difficult instrument to play? And without missing a beat, he said, second fiddle. I can get plenty of first violinist. But to find one who will play second with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet if no one wants to play second, we have no harmony. That's marriage. If we have no one that's willing to play second fiddle, if we have no one who's willing to step in and serve the other, you don't have harmony. You have dissonance and dissonance is grinding to our ears it pushes us away from what we would normally want to draw near to and it magnifies our differences in the most unpleasant and unhealthy manner and we fail to appreciate one another's differences and we're defensive over our human weaknesses we lose the opportunity to be one of the most powerful examples of Christ's presence on the earth That's God's point about marriage. His marriage can be one of the most most powerful expressions of Christ's presence on earth when we cooperate instead of compete. When we delight instead of fight. When we rule with instead of over. God wants us to celebrate, not debate, our differences. Learn submission. Jesus flipped the script in Mark chapter 10, verse 20, 42. Jesus says, you know that those who are regarded as Gentiles lord it over you. So here's kind of what the world does. The world's going to use whatever power it has to lord it over you. In an unregenerate, uh, a, an unrefined, a believer in name, but not a believer in spirit will try to use submission as a way to put a thumb on his spouse. We'll use submission as a way to have control and power just like the Gentiles do who lord it over you. Notice God's pointing out that there is a problem not just in marriage but in culture that when people get power, they'll often abuse it. And if marriage is seen as a power trip, it will be abused, and will not reflect God's purposes because our differences are alienating us rather than uniting us. 1 Peter says something very similar. He says not lording it. The leaders of the church should not be lording it over those entrusted to them, but being examples to the flock. That the pastoral leadership should never be one of abuse, never one of manipulation, never one of trying to control. It should be one of service. The application. Resist any temptation to rule over your spouse and replace that re- replace your compulsion to control with a commitment to serve. Learn submission and lastly give permission learn submission and give permission romans 15 7 favorite little one of my favorite little verses very simple but it's critical for any two parties to experience and express god's love accept one another then how just as christ accepted you You've got, and this is the the deal, right? Because your spouse, they know better than anybody. They know better than anybody just how screwed up you are. (laughs) They do. They do. They live with you. But if they'll accept you, because Jesus knows how screwed up you are too. Even more than your spouse. And so if Jesus can accept you like that, when you're filled with Jesus, that's the idea of being a Christian, (laughs) When you're filled with Jesus, you now can be an expression of that as well. And so learn submission. Learn the cooperation instead of the competition. Learn it. Learn to be a servant to your spouse. And give permission. Oh, happy day when I learned to give my wife permission to be different than me. Oh, happy day when she learned to give me permission to be me. I was going to throw up a picture on my phone. I'm sorry, I don't. I forgot to do it. Um, this week I, I had a busy week. I had one day off, and so on that one day, um, and imagine the picture coming up in the tree, uh, picture coming up on the screen. You would have found me on a ladder, 27 feet high, in a tree. <laughs> I was 27 foot high in two different trees because I was putting in a super swing. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, between two big ponderosa pines, I ran a cable 27 feet up in the air, and in the middle of that cable, I got a rope coming down, and then I put a telephone pole 18 feet back. So then the it comes, my rope comes up, so I can climb 12 feet up on my telephone pole, and then jump off on the swing, and it is super. <laughs> it's, it's like whoa! I told you risk taking is part of who I am and she's risk adverse but she's learned to let me be a risk taker oh happy day (laughs) right see when we when we learn that we're different give permission for different it's a good thing my wife makes me a better person While I'm wanting recreation, I still need some relaxation. She does it really well. I can learn from that. When I am risk ready, sometimes I need to be risk averse. And she helps me with that. Not with trees, but with other things. (laughs) See when you learn to give permission for your spouse to be who God's made them to be, we get better. Ian Cron is kind of the, if you've ever heard of the Enneagram, Ian Cron says this, uh, he's kind of a, a, a master teacher on the Enneagram, which just talks about all the ways that we are different from one another. He says, when two people, when two very different people come together, they're always tempted to want to twist the other into one to one's own likeness for the purpose of making our lives better. But the truth of the matter is, our calling is to let others be perfectly themselves, not just to tolerate our differences but to celebrate our differences. If you're here with a spouse, I just want to encourage you, close your eyes and hold their hand. If you're here by yourself, I encourage you, clasp your hands. Because there's something that God wants you to take from this. This might have sounded like a, a message on marriage. And to one degree it is. But it's a message on being children of God. Because every day you'll step into a workplace with people different than you. Every day you will encounter and come up against people that see things differently, do things differently, feel differently about the things around each of you. And your ability to celebrate differences is maximized in the husband and wife relationship, but it's also utilized in every other environment. This message really isn't about just husband and wife or male and female It's about the body of Christ expressing the love of God because he's made us different and he wants us to celebrate our differences. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that those who are married today would sense that you are for them and that you brought them to this relationship with someone extremely different than they are. Not to aggravate them and not to frustrate them, but to refine them to make them literally more like yourself. And I pray that the relationships where hands are clasped together between husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, Um, you would do something, Lord, that would powerfully affirm their differences. They would walk away today saying, I am committed to learn submission and I'm committed to give permission. Lord, for the rest of us who may be single or not here with a spouse, God, it starts with us. We can be the one that you use that celebrates the differences of others. We can be the one that doesn't try to exercise power over others, but we come under to serve others. Use it, Lord, to bring your face, your presence, your light to a dark world. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.